Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of business, and lessons learned. Boy, can override the worries and depression. Here are your Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Welcome, everyone. This is Carmen Nazario. Welcome to another episode of our Veterans Founder Podcast. Josh is not here today, but uh, that's okay. We'll look forward to hearing him next week. So today we have uh, the opportunity to hear from Lisa Steptoe. Lisa is uh, involved with the steptoegroup.com. And before we introduce her, I uh, hi, actually, I'll introduce her right now. Uh, hi, Lisa. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Well, we look forward to having you on the show today. I, I'd like to make mention that today is super special because today, March 8, is the International Women's Day. We celebrate the achievements and contributions of women around the world and throughout the world. And Lisa is one of them. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so this is great that I get to interview a woman today. So it's a woman sort of show today. But um, but what we like to do, Lisa, in this show is hear your story. Uh, you know, we want to hear uh, where you're from, what led you into the military, what you experienced in the military, then after that, how you got started on your track to being a, a going into business as a veteran business owner. So, okay. uh, yeah, just tell us about yourself, where you grew up, and um, uh, you're on. All right. Well, I grew up in Columbia, Maryland. I, I wasn't born there. I was born in Springfield, Massachusetts, but uh, my parents were government, uh, federal government workers. So we moved around a lot. And then we finally settled in about 72, 74 into Columbia, Maryland. Um, and we're one of the founding families uh, in this in Columbia, Maryland, which is a planned kind of community um, built by the Rouse uh, Company. Um uh, so I grew up here, and I. How did I get to decide to go to West Point? Well, I I was in the Air Force ROTC uh, Junior ROTC program in my high school, but one of my good friends and my class uh, he eventually ended up being my classmate from West Point. But we were in same high school. He was a year ahead of me. He got accepted to the prep school, and he came back one day. And his affectionate name for nickname for me was Scrub, Scrubette. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and he was like, you know, Scrubette, you'd never be able to get into the academy. You're a scrub. And he was being, he was teasing and, and, you know, just being fun. And, and he's in his uniform looking all great. And I pretty much was the kind of, you know, young lady that was like, nobody tells Lisa, what she can and cannot do. And I said, not only will I get into West Point, but I'll be your classmate because I'm so much smarter than you. I won't need the prep school. Wow. You told him that? (laughs) I told him that. I sure did. Oh, wow. That's good. uh, Good for you. 
I started the whole process of of applying and and yeah, I applied to all the the because um, my father used to say never put all your eggs in one basket. So I applied to all the service academies. I applied for ROTC scholarships, and I got a nomination to all service academies from Congressman Mikulski. Um and I then shortly thereafter got my letter that I was accepted to West Point. And um, how wonderful. And this, what year was this? Because I can't remember the year that they allowed women to participate. I mean, when I was in the military, uh, you know, women couldn't go to West Point. Right. So the first year that women could enter the academy was 1976. So the first class of women to graduate from the from the military academy was in 1980. I entered the academy in 1983 and graduated in 87. So you were one of the forerunners. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, so I can imagine, uh, yeah, tell us about that. I just can't imagine, you know, uh, going in there and maybe there was just a handful of women. Tell us about your experience going through the uh, West Point Academy. It was it was very tough. Um, I have these memories of. I remember I showed up in our day, and and our day is called uh, reorganization day. It's the day you show up at the academy, and you just they run you through all these stations and get your gear and all this kind of stuff. And and by the end of the day, you're supposed to be able to march in a parade for your for the general community and your parents and everything um, and accepted as a new cadet into um, during beast, what we call beast barracks for the summer training. And I remember reporting to the man in the red sash and he said, these are your four. He tells me these are your four responses. Yes, sir. No, sir. Sir, I do not understand. Sir, may I ask a question? And I burst out laughing. And Mm. from that minute on, I knew that if I didn't get my stuff together, I was going to be in trouble. You were. <laughs> I was, it was, it was going to, and mm. actually my life was, I was miserable. Mm. I, during that summer, I, you know, you couldn't call home. You know, we didn't have cell phones and internet and any of that back then. So when you got permission to use the phone, you got a few minutes and you had to use a calling card. And so those were back in the day. So you didn't really get to call home. So there was no, can I want to come home? <laughs> I <laughs> kind know. Of thing. And so I, I, it was so hard, the yelling and the screaming. And the, the gist of all that was to build, you know, break you down, to build you back up and, you know, mm-hmm. see how resilient and, and you were going to be. But it was those first, that first year was miserable. It mm-hmm. was, it was very challenging. I, I have to say, from my perspective, I never felt, um, I, I was never sexually harassed. I, I never felt that way. I didn't perceive it. I was harassed. <laughs> we call right. it hazing. Right. Um, um, you know, with, you might see it a, in a movie, you know, at boot camp, you know, all that screaming and yelling and making sure you're on time and everything. But it was very hard. And then at acad- when the academic year started, Mm-hmm. You know, you go there and you're with, you know, all the classes, 4,000 people who 
were already valedictorian. Everybody was valedictorian. Everybody was <laughs> no Eagle kidding. Scout or first class. Everybody who's there is top of their game. Wow. Okay. So you show up and then all of a sudden you go to these classes and you're not, it's not easy anymore. Right. It's not the, the, the level you you're at now is and the competition you're, you're, you're competing with the top of the top, the cream of the, the, cream crop. Of the crop, right? Yeah. And, you know, so the competition and, and the hard work and putting your nose to the grindstone, all those things. And being a woman time. and being a yes. woman. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, you know, making sure that nobody's saying to you that you're not meeting the standard. Mm-hmm. And you're not, and you know, um, you know, you're trying to get over. You're tr- and everything's trying to be easier, um, and that's not that's not the case. That you know, you strive to never have anybody, and that was at least for me. I don't want any. I never wanted anybody to say that I couldn't meet the standards. Right, especially you know, your friend that used to call you scrub, scrubby, scrubette. Well, he, scrubette. That was affectionate. <laughs> yeah. And he still calls me that today, to, to, to this day, and we're best friends. We grew up together, but um, and I call him Bubba. Bubba, um, okay. He was a rest- yes, he was a wrestler. Uh, so, oh, so he's Bubba a big and Scrubby. Guy, but, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> so, um, um, but yeah, you didn't want... Um, the less affectionate terms being used, you know, uh, about you, that you're right. a get over, you're here. Um, and nobody really could ever say that you're at the academy because of some kind of um, affirmative program or something, because everybody had to get a nomination. Everybody has mm-hmm. to pass a medical. Everybody has to pass a physical fitness test. Everybody has the to do well on the SAT scores to a certain, you know, you have right. to be above the minimums. Right. So they couldn't get you on that. It's usually physical mm-hmm. or you can't handle the stress or, you know, mm-hmm. you don't want anybody to see you cry, you know. Yeah. <laughs> was, they're, 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 so those were some challenging. That first year, once you become an ap- upperclassman, it was okay. You yeah. know, it still was hard, but... It's you the know, making. That first year was, yeah. Yeah, it's the making of a soldier. So, what did you study yes. when you were there? I started out studying computer science, or that, that was what I selected it my as my major. And then, as I got in, into it, probably late, the end of my sophomore year, we call it um, yearling year, um, I was like, or actually into my junior year, I did not want to do this. I did not want to be a computer programmer. And back then it wasn't, there was no artificial intelligence. There still wasn't really the, the, there wasn't the internet. I didn't get my first computer monochrome screen, you know, the orange one Mm -hmm. when, and when, when prodigy was an AOL were just coming out. I didn't get that until 1987, Mm. my senior year. So, I didn't want to do Fortran and just program and write code. And, and so I just didn't want to do that anymore. So I switched my major to um, uh, math and electrical engineering. So mm. I have a degree in applied mathematics and um, a minor in electrical engineering. Wow, you're a real smart lady. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so what happened after that, after you graduated from West Point? 
So after I graduated, I got married 10 to 1, um, 10 days later. Um, and then we had to do our army thing. So I went quartermaster, which was supply and logistics, and Ron went field artillery. So I went to my basic course in Virginia, and he went to his basic course in um, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And then six and eight months later, we met back up at our first duty station, which was the 194th Armored Brigade in Fort Knox, Kentucky. Wow. Well, we're going to take a moment here to do our first ad, and then we'll be right back, Lisa, because okay. we got to get the story about you and Ron meeting at West Point. Okay. CPA dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. So we're back here with Lisa Steptoes. Lisa is... Uh, Tell us your role in your in your steptoegroup.com company. Well, the Steptoe Group LLC is um, basically did the R&D for the intellectual property of our company called Warrior Centric Health. Um, I was the initial founding investor in in the Steptoe Group and in Warrior Centric Health. So, um um, I basically did the books most of the time. I still do do the financials, um, but uh, now Ron, pretty much, I don't really have a role besides being the, you know, I own the majority of shares. I'm the founding investor, um, and the Steptoe Group basically founded the Warrior Centric Health. And Warrior Centric Health, as you remember from Ron's interview, is uh, the it's um, veteran population health platform of specialty e-learning and hospital credentialing and it's coupled with its big data analytics community outreach tools that help position hospitals and health systems um, to provide uh, oh. veterans public population health. Okay, so I'm going to so, chime in here. Uh, this is great because yeah. uh, we're going to get back to that in a minute, but yeah. there is a story behind, uh, uh, just to share <laughs> yes. with the audience, uh, I'm going to share with the audience that on February 22, we interviewed Ronald Steptoe, and he is uh, the uh, founder of Warrior Centric Health. And mm -hmm. so one of the things, Ron so much talked about you. I mean, he chimed yeah. in and he really talked about his wife, Lisa, and he told us that you met at West Point. So yes. I want to hear your love story, just a little bit of it. <laughs> sure. uh, you know, how did that happen? And, and I think it's kind of cute and uh i think our, our audience uh will enjoy it i as well oh, will enjoy it absolutely i i love telling the story he thinks this just might be a little different version but actually how we we of course we met at west point we were um it's hard to describe but we were in the same uh, beast company um but he was in a different platoon i was in i was the sh shortest girl in the longest squad in one platoon and he was the tallest person in another platoon and we saw each other every single day only during when we did a counter column to go into the mess hall so we'd pass each other and we saw each other every day but never spoke and then one day we're out at the nine millimeter range and we're firing our weapons and learning you know all about how to clean and do all that stuff with your your weapon 
And I finally got to eat lunch. And I was getting hazed a lot. So they often made me pass out my food so that I was hungry. (laughs) So I was very focused on eating. And Ron was sitting to my left, but I wasn't paying him any attention. I was very focused on, I'm going to eat everything in this box. And it was C rations then, not MREs that we know. So they were awesome. C rations are great. Um, <laughs> if you're hungry. Um, <laughs> I, know, yeah. I know. It was like, right? Um, but the other, there's some some of my squad mates, uh, young ladies in my squad, they're pestering me to like scoot down and find out who this guy is, you know, in our in our company. And I'm like, I am not talking to him because if I speak to him, one of the upperclassmen will see me talking and they'll come over and take my food or haze me or make me do some extra duty. I didn't want anything to do with it. So that but was a no-no then, right? That was a no-no. Okay. No talking, eat. No courting. Don't, don't do it. No no being cute, no, no flirting, nothing. And... Um, so because they were kept pestering me, I thought that would also bring attention. So I, I said, fine, I'll get his name. I'll find out who he is. And that's the end of it. And so I scooted down. I didn't even look at him. I just said, hey, my squad mates want to know who you are, where you're from. So rank, rank, name, rank, serial number, go. And he told me, I'm Ron Steptoe. I'm from Washington, D.C. And I turned and looked at him. I was like, hey, hometown. Because I was wow. from Columbia, Maryland. And so um, I quickly got myself together, you know, moved on. I was like, great to meet you. And from there, I never saw him again until the academic year. I mean, I saw him every day, but never spoke to him again during Beast Barracks. That was a no-no. Then academic year started. We had gym class together gymnastics Mm -hmm. and they graded you on everything cartwheel on a scale of one to five Mm -hmm. handstand scale of one to five and we had this thing called the indoor obstacle course and it was required for you to pass and i was struggling with the indoor obstacle course because there is a shelf that you have to get a running start jump up on the shelf climb up on the shelf climb over this railing onto the track and run and then you finish the obstacle course. Well, Mm. I was having trouble doing that and Ron could not do a handstand. So imagine a guy who's six foot three, his arms are, you know, basketball player, his arms are so long, he couldn't do a cartwheel or a handstand. So he comes up to me and he says, I'll make you a bargain. I'll teach you how to get up on the shelf if you teach me how to get, do a handstand and a cartwheel. Oh, and so that's how it kind of started. We, I taught him how to do that. He taught me how to get up on the shelf. He only got a high two um, around there. I, I managed to pass the indoor obstacle course and get up on those shelves, on the shelf. And we've been together inseparable ever since. Wow. It was a win-win <laughs> scenario. It was a win-win. We, uh, you know, we we started dating. He he asked me to the autumn dance, and um, we've been together ever since then. 
And so did you marry uh, before you graduated from West Point? Oh, no, that's a no-no. Okay, that's a no-no. I thought so. Uh, So so you got married. And what happened after that? Did you go into active duty uh, after? Okay. So everyone who graduates owes five years at the time. I think it's six now. Mm -hmm. But you owe five years back to the Army. So we both got, um, during your senior year, you have to pick your branch. Mm-hmm. And you have to pick your first duty station because my grade point average was higher than Ron's. I had to waive my right to pick a duty station and go with whatever he got. So I would get a sign with whatever he picked because okay. I was so I was so ranked. So I had a I was on a roll, all that kind of stuff at the academy during the later years. And um uh, Good for so, you. You proved your yeah. friend. Uh, uh, what was his name? Bubba. <laughs> his yeah, name. yeah, Bubba. I proved Bubba wrong. Long, right. You proved him wrong. And, uh, he said, uh, "I mean, uh, I was not able to pick a duty station because it wouldn't have been fair if I could pick Hawaii or something really exotic and nice, and and then he gets he has a lower grade point average. So I we we picked jointly Fort Knox, Kentucky." And so that's where we were stationed together at for years and a couple years. Our first couple years were at Fort Knox. And then we went back to West Point and worked as a, both of us as admissions officers in the Department of Mission, Admissions, which I absolutely loved. Um, and I uh, became pregnant and was expecting my first child um, when the first Desert Shield popped off and. So I, none, neither one of us could go because it was not a deployable. The academy is not a, you don't deploy from the academy. We weren't in deployable units. So right. neither one of us went. And shortly after Desert State uh, Shield or around in there, they started doing reductions in force, mm-hmm. rifting. Um, we call it rifting. And Ron and I decided I was expecting, so maybe I will get out of the army and I'll follow him. Right. And then... Um, you know, or I'll stay in. We we had a big decision because we were going to either get stationed with the 24th or the 25th ID, highly deployable units. I would have had to bring maybe a family member with to live with us in order to be able to deploy. Um, So I decided I was going to get out. And the talk about the rifting really was you know, ramping up and a lot of my classmates at the time were, were talking about not getting promoted um, on time and a lot of those things. So then we decided, well, you know what, Ron decided I'm going to get out and I'm going to do the corporate sector and maybe we'll start our own company. I mean, he, he always had that vision. Ron has always had this vision of either doing something for himself or he was going um, within a corporation, he had that, we call, he calls it an entrepreneur. So maybe he'll build something within a, a corporation, you know, or right. he'll do it himself. He always has had that vision. He spoke of it from the, you know, Day one. Of where he wanted to go, his vision, um, his plan. And I kind of like, you know what? This man's got vision and ambition. I'm hitching my wagon. And this was while you, when you were dating then? Yeah. I yeah. mean, he talked about it when we were dating. Because all we could do at the academy was date. 
I mean, right. we were in, he, I mean, I, we got engaged and you could only date there. There was no public display of affection. Right. Affectionately known as PDA. No PDA. Um, so. Everything yeah. is an acronym in the military. Every yeah. single thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, that's great because I I can see how that sealed a deal, you know, in terms of seeing uh, his outlook and uh, Ron being a visionary. And so then did you end up getting out of the military then? We Uh, both did. At the same time? We got out of the military at the same time. And we both started at the same pharmaceutical company um, pretty much you know, back to back. He started first and I was, I followed him a few months later and um, we were there for many, you know, we were there. That's the longest period um, company we've ever been with was I, he was there 16 years. I was there 18 years, uh, 17, 18. And um, that's where the spark for war centric health came is from his time at, at Pfizer he was on some, uh, and I'm sure he was in his, uh, he probably talked about it in, in his interview, but he uh, was on a special team about healthcare disparities. And, um, you know, he built that whole platform for the company only to see it not really go anywhere. And um, for so Pfizer. he started, yeah, at Pfizer. And it kind of, kind of went away. And so he started with that idea and decided he was going to do something with it on his own. Um, mm-hmm. And so he left the Pfizer, started um, the Steptoe Group, which did the initial R&D to, to build the platform um, with Veterans Health. And, um, and I was the supportive spouse. So mm. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, he, he has a, this saying, uh, he probably, I think he got it from, um, he reads a lot, a voracious reader. Um, and he said, what, you know, what's it take to be a successful entrepreneur? And he said, you're going to use all your money, you're going to use all your time, and you're going to use all of your network to be successful. That's and successful. so I thought about what he said and, you know, he's the entrepreneur and I've been, uh, I've been like support staff. So what does it take to be a supportive spouse or partner to an entrepreneur? And I said, you have to be relentless, you have to be resilient, and you have to be resourceful. I like that. (laughs) Relentless, resilience, and resourceful. And then from his end, it was use all your money. Uh, Tell me that again. There was three. Use all your money, use all of your time, and use all of your network. Network. Mm-hmm. And I concur with that. And yours was uh, as a partner. And go be ahead. resilient, be relentless, be resilient, and be resourceful. Resourceful. We're going to take uh, another break, Lisa. So mm-hmm. uh, just hold on and we'll uh, chime you back in. Thank you. Today's episode of The Veteran Startups is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. For instance, 
media relations. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this. Press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Carmen and Josh sent you. We are back uh, with Lisa Steptoe today from Steptoe Group. And Lisa, we were just talking about some of the characteristics that you brought in partnership with your husband's business. So we're going to dive back into that and just go ahead and, and, uh, you know, share about... uh, how you started the business and you know we know that Ron had that entrepreneurial spirit and he he had a vision to do this type of work and apparently he had uh, done some of it for Pfizer but then it, it didn't go anywhere so then he uh, at what point did he break off and uh, did you both break off at the same time and then um, did everything start out with your company that provided the research and then later move into mm-hmm. his company tell us about that well, so how, how he decided he had the idea he decided he was going to go out on your his own i kept i kept working um because we you know you got to keep the lights on right it's you know so you know where did that capital come in well a, about a year after he left i got pfizer had a what they call a they call it optimizing i forgot what it, the term was but they called it optimizing and i was optimized out and since I had been there for 17 years, I had, um, you know, my severance was a year in salary, and um, I had a really nice severance package, and you know, some stock options and things like that. And my severance package and those those options was the startup capital for him to go full force, and um, you know, into launching. Um, you know, some of the initial research and development. He on his, you know, landed a, a uh, contract with um, the, I think it was Walter Reed and um, Department of Defense. And that's where they got some of the r- initial data and they grew from there. But um, I provided the initial, you know, funding for that. And of course we had our classmates and other West Pointers and friends and family um, help contribute to, to to build the business, but I kept, I kept working or I kept the job because, you know, all that money goes into your business. So yes. like I said, all your money. And so somebody had to keep the, the rent paid or the mortgage paid and the lights on and kids in school. And so I kept working. Right. And, and so, um, so it started, did it start first with the Steptoe group? Uh, am I correct yes. about saying that? Yes. And yeah. then how do how do you guys work like why is it that there's two separate companies? Um you'd have to ask ask Rob I I he broke that off because and they wanted of course rebrand it with a different name and and um I can't give you the specifics on that. Okay, yeah, so I'm, a better I'm question, CEO, so. right? No, a better question would be, how do you collaborate together or meld together? Because it's kind of uh, the same type of uh, yeah. work, 
Uh, and so there, there is a good reason for this. But yeah. uh, so tell us about what your company does, and then we could also touch base again on what Ron does. So you could start with his or yours, whatever you think. Okay. Right now, the Steptoe Group really is just kind of like a holding company, to be, to be honest. I don't do any additional uh, research. I mean, I used to help with getting contacts and things like that. I really, right now, just do the financial statements. Um, I'm his bookkeeper and accountant right now until um, he, he he can hire somebody full-time to do that. Um, how we work together is <laughs> he runs the company. I run, I take care of everything else. I make it so he has nothing else to worry about. I take That's everything awesome. else off of his plate. Yeah. Um, I act as gatekeeper. I act as, uh, um, what is a gatekeeper? I, I have no problem with no being a, a complete sentence. Right. So. <laughs> and so for our audience, um, her husband's company is called Warrior Centric Health. And just uh, just to, we, we did host Ron a few weeks ago, and he shared about his company. But I'll let you share, too, so that way we can kind of engage our audience uh, on what exactly Ron's company does, or, you know, sure. both of you guys' company. Sure. Warrior Centric Health's veteran um, population health platform of specialty e-learning and hospital credentialing is coupled with its big, it's got big data analytics and community outreach tools. It positions hospitals and health systems as unique providers of veterans' population health, um, helping them provide the right care to the right patient at the right time um, in that veterans' uh, space, veterans and their um, families um, as well. And, and, um, and share why that was needed. So your customers are really health providers, but why was uh, that needed? Well, the the myth is is that most veterans are seen in the VA health system, and that is not true. Only twenty percent of veterans are seen at a VA. We hear a lot of stuff about it, but only twenty percent of veterans are seen in the VA. There are a lot of reasons for that, which people don't know. Eighty percent of your veter of the veteran population is seen in the civilian sector okay so their families they, they 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 when they're veterans they often have other jobs so they have other health insurance but there are comorbidities that go that go along with being a veteran especially if you know you've served overseas there's burn pits there's um you know, Agent Orange. There's a lot of comorbidities that go along with being a veteran that lay people or lay, we call civilian providers, aren't aware of. So there is a disparity in and often in treatment. It costs more. Veterans are often seen more in um, in the hospital and or they're re we call them repeat. Um, they, co they come back over and over again and don't get complete di diagnosis or they're treating their symptoms, but without knowing the entire picture. Right. They, you know, or what, what could be causing their um, respiratory distress or their cancers or, you know, why, why did they end up with diabetes so late? 
mm-hmm. you know, with no other physical. So, um, but knowing that history and the veteran population, then that that they are out there, that helps a hospital or a health system be more efficient, use the funds, and it helps them also have a bigger patient base when you know that they are out there. So are are the care providers, so in reality, you're teaching them a a more holistic uh, approach. Um, Would that be a correct statement to say your customers, you are helping them uh, have a more holistic approach to treating the veterans because... Well, a more holistic and making them aware of the nuances of uh, of the military lifestyle, of, mm-hmm. of war fighting, of what the hazards are out there. If you don't know that somebody has been exposed to concussive events, mm-hmm. then you might not be, it might take you that much longer to f- diagnose them for any other uh, a TBI. Yes. And it could be any 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 reason. So if you knew that Lisa had been in had been in the military, she was in the military police, she was on these convoys and exposed to concussive events a, a, a lot. If you did this in their history and you found this, you were asked those questions, then you might be able to get to a diagnosis that much faster. Right. That makes sense. So that's what. And so, yes, it is a much more holistic approach around a uh, around a certain population. Uh, you know, it's addressing a health there, a health care disparity around a very specific um, population, which is very large. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I didn't know the figures until Ron had yeah. shared that. And so uh, do and and I just am curious because I'm a veteran myself. So, does the mm-hmm. VA pay for this uh, for uh, eventually? No. Uh, so how does they that don't. work? I I was kind of fuzzy on <laughs> because most veterans have their own insurance. Mm-hmm. That's that's the crux. So, mo eighty percent of veterans are not don't ever go to a VA. One because you might not be able to get into the VA. Right. You have to have a qualified. Um, what's it, um, a, condition. I'm, a, I'm a losing, the, I've lost my word, condition that was, uh, you know, caused from the service. So right. you have to have that. Service, you have uh, to have connected, service, service connected, connected service disability. Connected. Thank you. Thank You're you. welcome. So you have to have, you have to have a service connected injury. Okay. Mm-hmm. Two, your financials. Okay. You, you, you have to meet a financial criteria as well. For instance, when I lost some health insurance many years ago after, you know, I lost uh, lost a job and, you know, got laid off and didn't had a brief, uh, gap, I looked into going to the VA. Well, I didn't have a con- precondition, okay, a service-connected condition, and I made too much money. I didn't meet the financial criteria. So that I couldn't be seen at the VA. I couldn't use the VA, even though I'm a veteran. Mm-hmm. I can't use the VA. And then there's a crux of all these women are out there who are veterans. The VA is not set up to treat women. Right. They don't really have GYN. Mm-hmm. Not really. No, I, I, mean, I know, because I'm a veteran. <laughs> right. And so I've used the VA. You know <laughs> they send me you, to other places, yes. They send you to other places. So the VA can send because they're... 
the the 20% that are seen at the VA, if they can't do those services, they will send them to a civilian doctor in the community um, and they will pay for that. But the other 80%, yes, they're, they're not. out there on their own. Mm, yes. Yep. And, you know, there, there's a lot of, you see it on the TV. So there's this misnomer that all veterans are taken care of. They're not. They're not. That's right. Uh, I'm going to stop to do our last uh, uh, commercial, and then we'll pick it up again, Lisa. Thank you so much. Mm Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com forward slash startup radio to sign up or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code startupruby. Great. We're back with Lisa Steptoe. And Lisa, um, this has all been really interesting. Uh, One of the things I wonder about, you know, you're providing these uh, services to the health providers. How do you measure your success? Oh, they have a lot of data. (laughs) So I, I, I'd have to, once again, refer you back to Ron. He, they collect a lot of data from Mm -hmm. the health system, from the hospital, the hospitals measure their success by um, decrease, you know, patient satisfaction. There's a lot of measures that there's a lot of them. I don't have all all of that, but... um, So it would be with the individual health provider, they're obviously uh, benefiting from your services. And they're able to reach... It's more at the health system level. Right. So, yes, the individual providers help, help, you know, yes, they are helped and they are able to help the veteran population better. The health system is rewarded by, of course, a new patient base. Um, So, of course, they have increased census. They have, um, you know, better patient satisfaction cores, better health um, outcomes. Our health outcomes are improved, you know, in, improvement in diagnosis. And so there's a lot of measures. I, I haven't seen all of them to be able to to give that in a short period of, uh, here on, on the, the radio. But um, right. So obviously- know, we have we have one of the largest um, nation's largest healthcare systems as a current client. So um, and they're they're going to add. Um, an additional, they did a pilot with us for eight, six or eight hospitals and just announced in February that they're going to do every single one of their hospitals. So all 96. Wow. There you go. That's a measure of your success. They've (laughs) expanded. That's what I was getting at. You know, that is, no, that's okay. That was, that is a true measure of your success. And so we've only got, you know, about 10 more minutes or so, but I did want to, I wanted you to talk about what, you know, we usually ask our uh, veterans uh, what 
when they got out of the military, what was it from the military that later helped them venture into their uh, enterprise or organizations? Mm -hmm. Because we do interview other veterans that have organizations, uh, nonprofits, and as well Mm -hmm. as those who have businesses. So what was your takeaway um, from the military in terms of that experience helping you with what you're doing now? Well, those you remember those three things that I what you the, had to be right the, the uh, be relentless, re- be resilient, and be resourceful. resourceful. I took right. I took those are the three things that I walked away from from the military that have carried me through whether it was in the corporate world or and helping to build a, a our company you know, Warrior Centric Health with with my husband. Um, when I say be relentless, um, many, many years ago when I was a uh, first uh, second lieutenant at Fort Knox, I was um, one of the officers there. He was also the, we called him Department of Physical Education. He was also a professor in the Department of Physical Education at West Point. And we ended up at, at Fort Knox together. And he one day gave me um, a plaque and he said, Lisa, you're, you're tenacious and you're relentless. And he gave me a plaque and it said what relentless was. Relentless is to be a fiery driving force that lets no obstacle, no setback, no challenge get in the way of achieving a noteworthy goal. I, I carry that <laughs> with me everywhere. No matter what I'm doing, I do triathlons now. And it's like my mantra. When I get up, I, there will be nothing. No setback, and you're going to have them. Yes. In the corporate world, no matter what you're doing, you're going to have setbacks. You're going to have challenges. You're going to, people are going to throw obstacles in your way. And you have to be relentless in driving forward. And uh, I'll use the, uh, one of my favorites from the wise sage, Rocky Balboa, Mm -hmm. is that life will beat you to the ground. It will, and it'll keep you there if you let it. But it's not about how hard you get hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and stand up and move forward. I love it. Keep moving mm-hmm. forward. And yeah. that's what being relentless means to me. Being resilient is you don't stop when you're tired. You stop when you're done. Mm, that's excellent. So, <laughs> the, uh, I'll elaborate on that is is that, like I said, these obstacles and setbacks will will set you back. I could have I, I could have taken the easy road when things got ugly. okay, and there's gonna be as a as as an entrepreneur, there are gonna be days when you don't know if you're going to keep be able to keep the lights on, yes, or your business open. and you're like, is is you know you've got promises and you've got payroll and and are you going to be resi- and as a as the spouse what would have been easy for me is to walk mm-hmm. that would have been the easy way right. uh, you know let him deal with this i'm out but no <laughs> i i i you know i hitched my wagon to to this star i believe in him i and I've given, like he said, all of my money. I've given him all my time and I've used up my network. So I've got to be resilient and stand in the door. Excellent. 
And so that's about being resilient. And then being resourceful is you're going to have to get real creative (laughs) and figure it out. Um, I mean, I don't want to say it's not all dark and gloom, but you will think that you've been digging and digging and putting in all this effort and it'll be really dark and you're worried and you're scared and you you risked everything and you just got to you got to be resourceful and figure out who else can I call and just pick up the phone and and put yourself out there be vulnerable um another example is you know <laughs> my son was in college and we had no idea how we were going to pay his tuition and i stood in my living room and i looked around and i said so my piano i had this beautiful piano love yeah. that piano i sold my piano i sold my china i sold some of my jewelry so that he i didn't want my son to also worry. Right. He, we'll take care of that. So, you know what? It wasn't nailed down. It got sold. <laughs> right. And this was because so you I had started do. your business and you weren't about yeah. to give up on, on the business I wasn't about, yet. We weren't about to give up. Right. Just lean in. And so I learned these things when I was, you know, a platoon leader and a company commander. I mean, you know, there were, there were times where... Um, you know, I I thought I went above and beyond for for my soldiers, you know, and I was getting ostracized or silenced by fellow fellow officers because I got my company commander to let us do certain things because they got the job done. And my platoon leader was like, I remember my my platoon leader. His I'll never forget this NCO. He taught me so many things, but I remember walking into the the mess hall and they, my, the fellow platoon leaders wouldn't speak to me. And so um, my platoon sergeant, he gives me this head nod, you come sit with us. And he said, sit down. And, you know, I kind of put my head down and I was really upset that, you know, I'd done this good thing and, you know, and now I'm being, I'm being punished for it. And I Just put my head down and he said, yeah, and and he he whispers, he kind of, you know, very, so nobody else could hear him. I could hear him. And he said, you pick your head up. I don't want to see one tear. And you sit here and you, and you eat with us. Mm. And, you know, what did I take from that is always keep your head up. You know, never let him see you sweat and keep doing what you're doing. Do the right thing and keep doing the right thing and it will Work it will on. work out. It will. It will. That I is, promise you. That is an awesome note to sort of end our show. You know, the be relentless, uh, be resilient, be resourceful. And thank you for explaining that because I was going to ask you uh, <laughs> to explain that. But it's an awesome uh, note to uh, end our show today. Lisa, you've been a wonderful guest, and we want to thank you and thank you for your service and salute you as a woman uh, today, uh, today that it's Women's International Day. Thank you for uh, so, having me. Thank you, too, Lisa. So to our audience, I want to say thank you for tuning in to our Veterans Podcast. We welcome you to come back and listen in on our next episode of the Veterans Founder Podcast next Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. So long. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch.
10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program. 